You are listening to the Life Church podcast. To learn more about Life Church, our gathering times at any of our central Indiana locations, or our Life Crew online, visit us at lifechurchin.com or follow the link in the description. Today's talk is from Pastor Tina Avey. So uh, if you want to open your Bibles and get ready, we're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Uh, last week, um, we saw the Davidic covenant has been established. God has made his covenant with David. Uh, he made a great promise that his house would be one that endures forever. Uh, the Lord speaks through the prophet Nathan. I'm just recapping. By the way, if, if this is your first time with us, <laughs> I just rewound like cassette tape style. Anyway, um, so we've been in 2 Samuel for a minute. We were in 1 Samuel. We've been traveling through the journey of Samuel and David, King Saul, all of that. So if you want to get caught up, our messages are online or on the app. You can do that. Just last week, what has happened? David, um, short version, was pursued by Saul, had to run for his life for a super, super long time, has just now been established as king. And so then last week, Pastor Ross laid out before us how God established a covenant with David that his line will endure forever. Um, He tells him he's going to raise up David's offspring and that David's son, Solomon, whom God raises up, will never, never know a day where God removes his love from him. And he says, as I did Saul. So this is super important. We're going to revisit this a little bit later. But God makes a different promise to David that endures forever. It's a sure thing, a promise that cannot, will not ever be broken. So now as we step into verse 18, we're going to see David's response to this promise from God. Um, But let me ask you a question before we do that. Do you know what it is to be in Do you know what I mean when I say that? To be in awe. Awe is defined as an emotion that combines dread, veneration, and wonder that's inspired by authority or by the sacred or the sublime. And veneration just means inspired by dignity, wisdom, dedication, So it's this combination where scripture says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's awe. It's it's a fearful understanding of who this is. And at the same time, marveling at how magnificent and gracious and amazing he is. So we're going to revisit awe. And there will be a a response for you. Um, My question is, when is the last time you were in the presence of God and responded to him in awe? Pastor Ross did a great job of explaining last week the magnitude of this promise God has given. And immediately, in verse 18, King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me this far? Sitting before the Lord is not how you were supposed to communicate to the Lord. The acceptable ways of praying were standing or kneeling. But David is overwhelmed and he sits 
and meditates on what God has just said. And he's in awe. This is one of those jaw-dropping moments. He's just come in as king. Like, if you think about his journey, it's been fleeing from, from someone who wants to kill him and battles and politics and all of these things. And he's just established as king. And now God says, you think that's it? <laughs> I've got so much more for you. And David's like, are you kidding me? I can't take more blessing than this. Like he just has to sit before God and just my how, like who am I? He's in awe. And David does something that's right. And if you've ever received a word from some, have you ever had someone come up and, and prophesy over you? Say, I have a word for you. What David does is really right. He gets a word from the prophet Nathan. And he doesn't go back to Nathan. Oh, Nathan, you're so great. Thank you so much. Your gifting is magnificent. I can't tell you. No, no, no. David goes straight to the Lord. Lord, thank you for your word. How can I take in a blessing like this? He goes straight to the Lord with his response because God promises it will be forever. In verse 19, David says, and yet, Lord, this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come, and this instruction for this is instruction for mankind. So now David discerns that as huge as this is, this is actually small, to what God is capable of. Have you ever been there? Like, God, are you kidding me? Like, this is so much bigger than what I can comprehend, and yet you're God and created everything. There is so much more that he's able to do. But the last part of this scripture I thought was interesting where he says, this is instruction for mankind. That word means like it's the Torah of man. It's the charter. It's the plan for mankind. It's the plan and prescription for God's kingdom whereby the whole world will be blessed. It's a grant that confers powers, rights, and privileges to David and his seed for the benefit of mankind. The promise of the rule of David's house meant this, that it was for all of humanity as the house of David will be the means of the coming of the Messiah, the one who will save all that are lost. And in verse 20, David says, what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God, because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. And David says, what more could I say to you? Matthew Henry, in his commentary, had a great quote. He said, the promises of the covenant of grace are framed by God, the one who knows us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. So what can we say more for ourselves in prayer that God has said for us in his promises? What more can I say? Your promises are all in here. What more could I, could I bring before you? 
In verse 22, therefore you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you. There is no God beside you. According to all that we have heard with our ears, and who is like your people of Israel, the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people, making himself a name and doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods. And you established for yourself your people Israel to be your people forever. And you, O Lord, became their God. So David considers God's people. He rescued them from Egypt. He bonded himself to them. Not just that he is their God, but they are his. He grants his people freedom. But interestingly enough, not independence. They are no longer slaves in Egypt, but they now belong to God. Have you ever thought about that? Is there a difference between freedom and independence? And there is. Freedom means there's a bigger border, very little to no restrictions. Lots, all things are on the table. There's freedom. Independence means you can do it all on your own. So while God sets us free and gives us freedom, he does not want to grant us independence for we cannot function apart from his strength. Do you guys hear a ringing a little bit? Will it help if I back up? Is it just me? Okay. I'm hearing ringing by myself. It's okay. Okay. All right. So God grants his people freedom, but not independence. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19b and 20a, he says, you are not your own, you were bought at a price. So we can't forget that. The freedom God gives us does not mean we operate free of him. We operate freely, all things on the table. Anything is possible for those who are in Christ, but not independently. So David then recognizes that Israel is as permanent as his dynasty, not because of Israel itself. There's nothing special about Israel, but because Yahweh, God, intends to keep them. In Exodus 6, 7, I shall take for you my own people and I shall be your God. God forever entitles Israel through David's dynasty. Jesus gives us this same assurance to his flock. In John chapter 10, verse 27, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one can snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. Because God attaches such high value to his flock, he is going to watch over his flock until the very end. And that, does that give you a sense of safety? Like no one can pluck you out of God's hand. The enemy with all of the darts, all of the arrows, everything he wants to throw at you, he does not have the power, if you belong to Christ, to pluck you out of that because he's a liar. He may make you think he can, but he's a liar. That's what he does. You really think you're saved? My mentor used to tell me, and I found this to be true. I don't know, maybe you, but like, I never ever had the thought, maybe I'm not saved until I got saved. 
right? You get saved, you give your life to Jesus, and all of a sudden this voice, did it really take? Was that baptism really real? Did you really mean it? Is, do you really belong to God? Because I saw what you did yesterday. You did not listen to the Lord. Boy, he's a liar and he's slick. God attaches high value. He will look after it until the end. He watches over his word to complete it. And his answers to us are yes and amen. David's prayer takes on a different tone once we get into verse 25. So we've gotten this promise, this amazing thing's gonna happen. And God's like, or David's like, oh Lord, are you kidding me? Like I got, this is one of those like, are you sitting down kind of news things, right? Like, so he's sitting down, he's trying to take it in and he's thanking God, he's in awe. And then all of a sudden he turns it to petition. Head tilt moment. God just gave a promise. You're overwhelmed by the promise. And now you're gonna petition God. So let's look into this. In verse 25, now, O Lord God, confirm forever the word that you have spoken concerning your servant, concerning his house, and do as you have spoken. He's telling the Lord, would you please do what you just said you're going to do? Your name will be magnified forever, saying the Lord of hosts is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made this revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. Hmm. Isn't that how it should be? When you are solid in God and you understand no one can pluck you from his hand, shouldn't that give you courage and boldness to go before his throne unapologetically? You're not at risk of losing your salvation because you pray a prayer too boldly. The Lord understands our humanity. But he, has, he says, therefore your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, you are God and your words are true. And you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now, therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant so it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord, have spoken and with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. So why? is David asking God to do what God literally just said he's going to do. At first, it can sound like, David, were you paying attention? David, where's your faith? But there's a reason why, because there are two different kinds of covenants that are made with God throughout scripture. You have conditional covenants and unconditional covenants. So we'll go through a couple of these just to kind of explain what I mean. So the Edenic covenant was the covenant God made in the Garden of Eden. All of this is yours. All of this is yours. Enjoy. Don't eat of that tree. If you eat of that tree, you will surely die. There's a condition, right? In the, the covenant with Noah, I shall never flood the earth again and he restores the commission from the garden, be fruitful and multiply. No condition. That's unconditional. God made a promise he will never do that again. There was no if, there was no but, there was no I'm never gonna do this again. However, that didn't exist in that covenant. That one is unconditional. And then we have the Abrahamic covenant. 
He promises Abraham a huge family, more than the stars in the sky, that will inherit a piece of land in Canaan and bring universal blessing to all of humanity. It's similar to the Noahic covenant, and this one came with an outward sign. It wasn't conditional, but the sign, the way to remember the covenant was the circumcision. That's how that went through generations, remembering the covenant that God made with Abraham. So in this covenant, um, we also see that uh, God tells Abraham to leave his land, follow wherever he leads, train his family to do what is right and just, practice circumcision. And so we see this covenant is both conditional and unconditional. God and Abraham each have a part to play, right? The Mosaic covenant was conditional. Well, it was both. Because the Lord said, Moses, you will take them into the land of Canaan. The land is my people's. I give it to you freely. They're supposed to go into Canaan. But did Moses get to go into Canaan? He didn't. So even though God said the land is yours, and I give it to my people, because of their disobedience, they didn't get to inhabit the land. The land still belonged to them. It was still given to them because of God, but they didn't get to inhabit the land. That was the part that they played because of their disobedience. Do you see that? So covenants sometimes are both. There's an unconditional covenant. The land is Israel's. Like that's a done deal. When they get to inhabit it is between them and the Lord and how they work that out. So then we have the Davidic covenant, which is where we are now. This one is unconditional. This covenant that God has just made with David is unconditional, and I'll tell you why. Because when you look back in chapter 7 at verses 12 through 16, listen carefully to how God explains this to David. He says, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom, and he will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now listen to this. I will be to him a father. He shall be to me a son. When he commits inequity, I will discipline him with the rod of men and the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So that is unconditional. He says... Solomon messes up, I'm going to discipline him. I'm going to get him right. I'm going to go ahead and, and do what's right and just, but I will never remove my love from him, which is different than how God operated with King Saul. So then we have the new covenant. And the new covenant, is it unconditional or is it conditional? Yes, it is. <laughs> it's very similar to the Mosaic covenant because Jesus John 3, 16, he paid for all sins. The Lord sent his son so that none would perish. And what did Jesus say on the cross? It is finished. That is done. His part of the covenant completed, done. Not another thing can happen. Nothing that happens for the rest of time can ever change it. The enemy can't undo it. It is a finished part of the covenant. We don't earn it. He did it. He hands it to us. That is unconditional. He already fulfilled that. 
where the conditional part comes in is no work on our part except to take it. That's it. It's no different than if I were to give you a gift and I hand it out to you and you look at it, say, I believe the gift is there. I see the gift. That's a cool looking gift. I think that gift could help people. Awesome, thank you. But then you don't take it. You have to take the gift. You have to open the gift. You have to say, this is mine. I impart it on me. This is my gift. Thank you, Lord, for my gift. I'm wearing my gift. I I operate in the gift. That's the part we play where scripture says, faith without works is dead. The works is just receiving. Receive that faith. Receive that gift from him. David recognizes that Israel is as permanent as his dynasty, not because of Israel. Oop, we already did that part. Sorry, let's move on. Unless you want to rewind, I could go back and just get. So here's my question. As we consider all of these covenants, the unconditional and the conditional, you have to ask a question, and this is for everybody, whether you consider yourself a believer or not. Who is your covenant with? Who have you made an agreement with, a contract with? Because Jesus is super clear in Matthew chapter 12, verse 30. He says this, whoever isn't with me is against me. That's it. I'm not making that up. I'm not trying to cast anything out. It's here. You can look it up yourself. You can't walk a line. And so many times you hear people like, well, I believe in God, not sure about Jesus. I try to do good things. None of that's going to cut it. It is very simple. You are with Jesus. You are for him. Or you're kind of for him, but no. Or you're against him. So you have made a covenant one way or the other. If you haven't made a covenant with Jesus... You've made one with the enemy, whether you know it or not. doesn't mean you're a bad person or you tried to. It's not like you're deciding, I'm going to be a Satanist, so I'm going to covenant with Satan. It's not that. But Jesus said it's one way or the other. So I want to show you something as you think about who you've made your covenant with and the awe of God. I want you to see something real quick. It's the Son of God crucified for my sins. There can be nothing else. Well, while I was in Durango with these students, I was just looking for something that I hadn't seen before. I was on the Hubble site searching Whirlpool images. Uh, You remember the darling of astronomy, the Whirlpool galaxy. And I just searched Whirlpool. A list of uh, names of images came up. One of them was called the X structure at the core of the Whirlpool galaxy. Got my attention. I thought, okay. I clicked on that link and a photograph comes up, an image comes up on my computer screen, almost knocks me off of my seat. I cannot believe it. I'm just staring at it with my mouth open. It's 31 million light years away. The Hubble Space Telescope, seeing what we cannot see, has looked into the dark black hole core of the Whirlpool Galaxy and sent us back a photograph. Here's what NASA sent us back from 31 million light years away, deep in the core of the Whirlpool Galaxy. We get this image coming back to us. Wow! (laughs) 
It's the X structure in the core of the Whirlpool galaxy. I'm not here to scientifically tell you it's a cross. You can make of it what you want to tonight. I'm just saying it reminds me of the Revelation writer who said, it's Jesus Christ, the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. It's Jesus everywhere. It's Amen. grace everywhere you turn. It's mercy when you least expect to find it. It's God laughing in heaven when we finally got the Hubble aimed at the right place. And he goes, check this out. It's me. It's grace. It's mercy. It's kindness. It's forgiveness. Everywhere you look, it's God saying, I love you. Amen. There's grace everywhere. And long before you decided what you were going to do with God, God decided what he was going to do with you. And that was to not give you what your sins deserved, but to give his son what your sins deserved. And to give you the gift of himself and an invitation to live forever in a big, big story that is all about him. Amen. I want to read to you part of Psalm 8. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is my, mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? Can't you sit in awe of God? Did you see that? How can you not be in awe of God? If you ever get a chance to watch that, Louis Giglio, it's called Indescribable. He also describes, did you know there's a protein in your body? There's a protein in your body and when they magnify it is in the shape of a cross. It literally is the glue that holds your body together. How can we not be in awe? Who are we, Lord, that you are mindful of us? Who are we? We should be in awe of God. And when you're in awe of God, you need to consider your covenant. Have you made your covenant with him, with the one? He's it, did you not see that? Is your covenant with him? Or are you making covenants with yourself and your pleasures and your desires and your fears and, and the enemy is lying to you and you're in agreement with him? you would bow your head and close your eyes. I need to ask a question. If you're considering your covenant right now, you might be in here and be like, I have not made a covenant with the God of gods, the King of Kings. I've not made a covenant with the one who made a black hole in the shape of a cross that millions of, of, of light years away proclaims the salvation of man through his son. I have not made a covenant with that God and I want to. If that's you, would you please lift up your hand? Scripture says, today is the day of salvation. There is no waiting where Lord, the Lord is concerned. And maybe you're in here and you're like, I've already made that commitment to the Lord. But you know what? I've gotten off track and I've got covenants all over the place. And I need to rededicate, I need to re-promise, I need to, to get back in line with the covenant I've made with the King of Kings. If that's you, would you lift up your hand? 
Thank you, Jesus. I see those hands. Praise you, Lord. I see that hand. Yes, I see it. Praise the Lord. And maybe, maybe you're in here and you've made a covenant with the Lord, but you haven't sat in awe. You've forgotten. You've been going through life, walking a Christian life, walking a church life, doing the things, doing the devotions, doing all the things, but you've forgotten the awe of God, who it is we're dealing with. He's so much bigger than what's on our agenda for each day. He's so much bigger than what what is offered to us in this world. Did you see that? And you're like, I'm walking with him. I love him. I know him. But boy, do I need to, I want to sit in awe of him. If that's you, would you lift up your hands? I see that hand. Praise the Lord. You know, once you make a covenant with Jesus, the covenant with the enemy that you've made is broken. And Jesus is the only one who can do it. But the enemy tries to say, hold on, hold on, wait, 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 wait. We had an agreement. And he comes to try to steal the seed that that has been planted. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy the salvation that Jesus gave you. So we apply the word of our testimony in the blood of the lamb. Jesus broke the covenant you used to have with the enemy. It is legally broken. It is completely broken. The enemy is a liar and he cannot pluck you from the father's hand. Can you be in awe of your father? Recommit your covenant and walk in awe of who it is you serve. Father, we're encouraged by today's talk. Be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple. Come to life, connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.